If you would, open your copy of Scripture with me this morning. Our Scripture reading for the message is going to be from Colossians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 2 through 6 this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. If you would, please follow along. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, the children who normally stay in here or go downstairs will remain in here today. Uh, I did want to let you know as a congregation that uh, one of our members, um, Diane Watson, passed away this morning. And uh, so be in prayer for her family. And uh, we'll have information as soon as we know. We'll let you know uh, when the details of her service will be. But do please be in prayer for the family. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer now. God, we are thankful that we can be here this morning. Lord, I am thankful to know that Diane is in your presence now. Lord, that she lived her life in a way that pleased you, but more importantly, she placed her faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Lord, I do pray that you will comfort the family now, especially as they make plans for uh, her service, that uh, you will just be with them. Lord, now, Lord, as we go into our message this morning, and God, I pray that you will guide my words. Lord, help it to be not um, my opinion, but that message that you have placed upon my heart through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for each person here that they'll be open and receptive and, and willing to change the areas that they um, see that you lead for them to change. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter uh, 4, we're, we're getting to the end. Uh, of the book of Colossians, and uh, there's just a, uh, actually this week, next week, and the week after, and we will wrap up the book of Colossians, and we've been in it for a long time, and I know that if you are like me, you've learned a lot from it, I know I have, uh, but we want to just wrap up here, and we look, today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, on the topic of prayer. Paul is teaching us about prayer. Now, prayer if we're honest, can be a hard topic to preach on and to hear preached in a church. And let me, let me explain why. The first reason why I believe prayer is a hard topic to preach and to hear preach is because at times it's invisible to us. I mean, how often have you thought or said or heard someone say, I'm not sure if God is even hearing me. I'm not, I'm not sure if my prayers are even getting outside of my house. In fact, uh, I would say that many people struggle with this. We struggle to see visual results from our prayer. However, we need to remind ourselves of something. Prayer is not about results. It's about a relationship. The second reason why I think that sometimes it's hard to preach on prayer is because if you've been in church for a long time, then it's tempting to think, I've heard this already. 
Tell me something I haven't heard. And really the truth is, is that my job as your pastor is not to tell you something new every week, because I can't do that. My job as to pastor is to take the Word of God and systematically uh, exposit the truths of Scripture as we go through the Bible. And, and, and sometimes there are things that we hear and we hear over and over again and we really need to. There are things that are so important in life that we need to be taught again and again and again. So the question is, have you heard about this topic of prayer before, but what are you doing about it? And the third reason why I believe that prayer is a hard topic to preach is because prayer is hard work. Prayer is not something that comes easy. Prayer is not something that for most people comes naturally. Prayer takes effort. We all want to pray. We all know the necessity to pray. But sometimes we struggle, don't we? I heard it said that 70% of Americans believe that prayer is important. 70%. Yet of those 70%, it is said that 52% pray, percent pray less than once a day. See, if we think it's important, why don't we do it? Because it's, it's hard. And prayer is something that even the smartest people have a hard time fully grasping. In fact, I, I heard a story that I thought was, was uh, humorous. In, in 1952, Albert Einstein was, was here in the U.S., and he was lecturing at various campuses, and he, he ended up at Princeton uh, University, obviously one of the elite schools in our country, and he was, he was teaching a group of doctoral students on, on the importance of how to pick your topic for a dissertation. And one doctoral student raised their hand and they said this, they say, um, is there any original dissertation topics left in our, in our world? Is there any topic that we could choose that we haven't fully studied and fully understand? He took some time to think about it for a moment, and finally Einstein responded, and he said this, study prayer. Find out about prayer. There must be something out there about prayer, because I don't know it yet. See, the Bible is full of instructions about prayer. In fact, prayer is mentioned over 1,400 times in the Bible. Prayer is a topic that we hear over and over again as you read through the Bible. In our text today, Paul is coming to the end of his letter to the church at Colossae. And some have wondered, this passage that we're going to look at today and next week, if it's, if it's a conclusion of a thought that he had started in chapter 3, verse 1, or if it's the conclusion of the whole letter, and I really think it's both. I think what we have here is this. Paul has been preaching uh, or teaching through his letter to the people of Colossae, and he's been touching on all sorts of topics. But in chapter 3, he switches from, from doctrine to, to practical Christian living. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Okay, seek those things that are heavenly. Seek that, that which is, are, are the things above. And he began going through that, and he gets to relationships. And we talked about that, about, about husband and wife, about parents and children, about, about bosses and, and, and employees. And, and we, he got into all that, and he comes to this particular place, and it's, it's as if he's, he's been writing along, and he's been going along, and all of a sudden he comes, and he's kind of wrapping things up, and he goes, Wait. I want to add some important information and get this down. This is really important. And he begins to teach on this topic of prayer. So let's look at what Paul had to say about prayer today. 
And I see from this text four uh, characteristics of prayer that I think are important for all of us to understand. First of all, prayer sh- believers should be praying constantly. Look at the text again. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, the ES, uh, ESV says continue steadfastly in prayer. The King James says continue in prayer. Uh, a good translation, but I don't think good enough what the original language says. The NASB says devote yourself to prayer. And I think if we put all those together, we begin to understand really what the, the text is saying. The Greek word here used says, is, is the idea of this. Hold strong, hold steadfast, bear under the burden of prayer. It's, it's a, it's a single-minded determination to a course of action. It's, it's, it's the person who persists stubbornly in a task, no matter what. He stays the course. Now, this word prayer here is the most common word used in all of the New Testament referring to this idea of prayer. And it it's, it's, has a connotation of frequency, of, of continual frequency over and over again. But one thing is clear as we look at this verse is that it's God's will that we pray to Him consistently. You know, at times in our life, we struggle to know, God, what is it you want us to do? What is your will? But, but here's something that we don't have to struggle, that we don't have to question. And what God is saying to us here is pray constantly. Paul is exhorting his readers and he's exhorting us to pray uh, frequently and consistently all the time. See, prayer should not be a hit or miss type of thing. Prayer should not be something that you do uh, just at dinner. Prayer should not be something you do just when you're going through a hard time. Prayer should be something that you continue to do throughout your life. Continuing steadfast in prayer means that we take steps to ensure that prayer is the central part of our, our spiritual life, even as eating and sleeping are a part of our physical life. Now, if you go long without sleeping, what begins to happen? Your body begins to wear down. Uh, Friday nights, a group of men from our church went to um, man camp. Woo, yeah. The rest of them are sleeping, okay? But uh, we went to man camp, and we uh, set up tents or hammocks, and, and uh, we slept. We actually sat around the campfire until about midnight, until we finally decided to go to bed. And I don't know how well most people slept. And I know me, I, I slept okay, but still, I, I woke up the next morning tired. And I, and I got home, and, and uh, I had some studying to do, and so I sat down. My, my wife had taken my daughter somewhere. My son was busy doing something else, and I sat down to study, and I had my computer on my lap, my Bible next to me, and pretty soon I started noticing that I was doing what? Sleeping. The computer on my lap started to bounce. I'm like, okay, that's not a good thing. I placed it down next to me. I text my wife. I said, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> she said, that's probably a good thing. Why? Because I needed rest. Because sleep is an integral part of your life. And you know what What this passage is saying is that prayer should be an integral part of your life. You can't live without it. Seek times of, of quiet communion before God. Find those times. You know, the Bible gives, the, uh, gives the, the, the model of early in the morning, but it should be throughout the day. It should be something that you do and prepare to walk with God in continual, constant conversation throughout the day, moment by moment, hour by hour. Now, this does not mean that all you do all day is pray, but it does mean that your devotion to prayer affects every aspect of your life. 
Think about a person who's devoted to their job. They wake up and they think about their job. They go throughout the day and they work and they get home from work and all they do is focus on their job. And that is the idea that is dedicating itself to something completely. Devotion here, the dedication here implies a strong attachment to prayer. To devote yourself to prayer means that you allocate your time to pray. When people say, I, I just don't have enough time to pray. You're making wrong choices. You allocate your time to pray and you say, you know what, this is, this is a time that I set apart for prayer. You even allocate maybe your, your uh, efforts to pray. Okay, I, I'm too tired, I, I can't pray. Okay, then do it when you're not tired. You allocate even maybe your resources. Okay, you have to say no to something because prayer is something you're committed to. See, one who is devoted to prayer is not inconsistent in their prayer. They're not indifferent in their prayer. They're not uncommitted in their prayer. Something interesting to note is that the the verb here used in this passage to continue steadfastly, the verb here is used uh, ten times in the New Testament, and of those ten times, seven of them are connected with prayer. Let me show you a few of these. Here's the first one, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is uh, the, Jesus Christ has, has resurrected and he's ascended up into heaven and uh, the disciples are, are waiting now for something else. And it says, what are they doing while they're waiting? Notice what it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now it's estimated there was probably uh, a large group of people sitting around in this, in this room, probably maybe even up to 100 people were sitting around, and what are they doing? They're devoting themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 2 is the, the, the start of the church, and, 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 and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that people were hearing the gospel and that they were getting saved in large numbers, not just one or two or three. No, they were getting saved thousands a day. And what does it say about that church, that church that was so on fire for God? It says they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. We go to Romans chapter 12, and it's talking about aspects of what a believer should be and, and what it looks like to be a believer that has dedicated themselves to God and, 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 and is not transformed to the world, but is, but is renewed in the spirit of the mind. It says these are, these are people who are what? Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. All of these verses show an intensity in our prayer life. We should be serious about the busyness of prayer in our life, but how much are we? John Piper said this. He said, I have often said that one of the reasons we are so weak in our prayer lives is that we have tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. Let me go on and explain what he means by that. Prayer is not designed as an intercom between God and us to serve our domestic comforts of the saints. When I was a kid, we lived in a house that we were were in transition and we were living there with another family. And this house was a big house and uh, so much so that um, we as a family, I was sharing this to someone recently and they were like, that sounds weird. We as a family lived in the servants' quarters. But this house had intercom system. Uh, and so you could push the intercom and you could speak to someone that was in a different room. And it was really a, a way to interact with people without having to move, right? I mean, it was kind of a, a lazy thing and, you know, and parents could push it and go, uh, can you bring me this? Oftentimes that's what we think prayer is. 
God, I need this. John Piper goes on and says this, Prayer is designed as a walkie-talkie on the spiritual battlefield. That we are the soldiers and we're in the midst of an incredible, intense battle against Satan. And the only lifeline we have is this radio to God. It's the link between a soldier that is active in battle and a command headquarters that is filled with unlimited firepower. And yet, oftentimes, we don't view it that way. I love another quote by by Charles Spurgeon, and he says this, It is interesting to remark how large a portion of the sacred writings is occupied with the subject of prayer, either in furnishing examples, enforcing precepts, or pronouncing promises. You can scarcely open the Bible before we read something like this, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And just as we're about to close the Scripture, we see Amen from an earnest prayer of supplication by a saint. Instances of prayer are plentiful. Here we find Jacob wrestling against an angel, praying to God. Here we find Daniel praying three times a day, or David with all his heart calling upon God. On a mountain we see Elijah praying. In a dungeon we see Paul and Silas praying. We have multiple commands, myriad of promises dealing with this topic of prayer. But what does this teach us about prayer? But the fact that the sacred importance and necessity of prayer should fill our lives. We may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in his word, he intends to be prominent in our lives. If he has said much about prayer, it is because he knows we have much need for it. Our prayers should be constant, continual. How about that for you? How many times did you pray yesterday? Was it just at meals, maybe before you went to bed? Or was it constant? Secondly, believers, prayer, believers should be praying purposefully. Notice what he says next in verse 2. He says, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it. Now honestly, I get the command at the beginning of that verse that says to pray uh, continually. I, I get that command. I even get the next one we're going to talk about, which means that says pray with thanksgiving, but I, I have a hard time wrapping my brain about the one here, which says that we're to be watchful in prayer. What does he mean by that? Well, it's very familiar to what Jesus actually said to his disciples. If you remember the story when Jesus was uh, in the garden and it's the night he was betrayed, it was the night he was about to be carried off to execution. And he goes into the garden to pray. And he says to his disciples, I'm going to go a distance off and I'm going to pray. I want you to stay here. And what does he say to them? He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. The word here, uh, watch or watchful in this text, is the idea of, of being sober, being alert. Being ready for danger. It pictures one who is on high alert. 
We see a similar idea in Nehemiah. Remember in Nehemiah how the, the, the children of Israel were, were rebuilding the walls and, and as they were really rebuilding the walls, the enemy kept coming in and saying, hey, we're going to destroy the wall, do anything they can. And, and, and look what it says here. And we prayed to our God and set a guard. See, that was a physical representation of what God is talking about in this passage when he says, be watchful. You know, you be praying in such a way that you are watching what's going on. As I said a few moments ago, when we talk about prayer, that quote from John Piper about, it, about prayer being a walkie-talkie, we are in a war. Not against people, but against the attacks of Satan. And we must be watchful. My wife and I were just talking about this last night. I think too often as Christians we let down our guard. We get too comfortable. We find ourselves nestling into the world and saying, hey, 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 I I feel good here. And yet what we forget is that Satan is a masterful enemy. And he has guided and he has shaped this world in such a way so it allows us to fall into apathy as believers. And he's waiting. He's waiting for an opportunity for a tiny little crack in your walk with God to step in and destroy your relationship with God. To let down our guard against sin for even a moment gives him the moment he's been waiting for. See, Satan's whole desire is to turn you as a believer against God. If you're here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his desire is to keep you from doing that to keep you from, from hearing Christ. But his desire for you as a Christian is to, to turn you from God. But if we're watching and we're praying, then we can resist him. We can be firm in our faith. I've told this story before, but when I worked at camp years ago, there was rumors of a, of a, a lion in our area. That was scary. You know, we didn't just be like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, there's a lion. In fact, one time we went on a hike and this, we, we met a guy who lived in the air and he said, be careful, there's a mountain lion up on this rock sunbathing. You know, we didn't go, oh cool, let's go see if we can find it and talk to it. No, we were, we were on the alert. And as Christians, we should be on the alert and we should be praying about it. There is no weapon that Satan has that can defeat the power of prayer and the power of God working in our lives. My pastor used to say this. He used to say, pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. And we see that in this verse. This this being watchful puts the onus on us. I've got to be alert. I've got to be aware that Satan is trying to get me to, to fall. Satan is trying to get me to stumble. But at the same time, I need to be on my knees praying because I cannot do it unless God is working in my life. What's interesting, though, is watchful throughout uh, the New Testament often has a strong idea of the expectation of the return of Christ. And we see that idea here as well. Uh, it's, it's the expectation that Christ is going to return. How, how, do you, how do you act when you are anticipating something coming or someone coming? Imagine your family is expecting a, a, a very special house guest. What do you do? You spend all day cleaning the house and making sure everything's orderly, even, 
Even areas that this guest might not even go to, but you want to make sure the house is clean, and so you clean it up, and then someone in the family prepares a menu. They decide, here's what we're going to make, and then, and then you go and you prepare the food, and it's great anticipation. The dinner is finally ready. The guest is to arrive any minute now, and what happens? The kids are aware. They're at the window going, oh, is, no, no, oh, no, no, it's not that. Oh, here they are. And that's the idea of this watchful prayer. This anticipation of Christ could return at any moment. Are we praying? So we should pray with purpose, which is watchfully fighting against Satan with our prayers. Thirdly, believers should be praying gratefully. Next he mentions in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's a definite connection between the watchfulness and the thanksgiving, but uh, here we see the idea of praying with thanksgiving. Uh, This should not really be a surprise to us considering thanksgiving is is an attitude that is woven throughout this letter. Look, if you will, at Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at the examples where thanksgiving is mentioned. Colossians 1 verse 12 He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7, he says there, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says there, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God. And so this idea of thankfulness is woven throughout this book, and, it's, and here he links it to prayer. Why does he do that? Well, I think a right understanding of what prayer is, it's talking to a, a, a powerful God. It is a God that, that saved me. But even more than that, it's a God that created me. And this God that created me is worthy of my thanks and adoration. And so our prayers should be filled with thankfulness. Are you reminding yourself on a regular basis to give thanks no matter what your current circumstance is? You know, the Bible tells us to be thankful in all things. See, some of us in here are in a season of joy and plenty. Life is good. Your business is thriving, your marriage is happy, your kids are healthy, and your, your outlook is fantastic. But some of us here today are in a season of grief or need. Life is filled with pain. Money is disappearing rapidly. The business is not going well. Your marriage is rocky. Your kids are, are sick or rebellious. And tomorrow looks like more of the same. Regardless of what situation you're in, no matter what today looks like or tomorrow looks like, your mighty warrior, Jesus Christ, is with you and rejoices over you and is waiting for you to talk to him, not only with your prayers and concerns, but also with your thanksgiving. One commentator expressed it this way. He was talking about uh, in his own personal life, and he said this, A few months ago, I saw a billboard that said, Pray, it works. 
And I thought to myself, that's true. But what if it doesn't? Most of the time we pray these small prayers like, God, help me get through this day, or, or, or God, help me, to, help, help me to not feel sick anymore. And when those prayers don't work, we stop praying. Instead of learning what a prayer is really about, prayer is not to get God to see our way. Rather, prayer is to get us to see His way. And in seeing His way, we become thankful for what we have. Prayer is not something small. It's not something marginal. It's not something incidental that we do as a Christian. Prayer is at the heart of everything in our universe. One author said it this way, you, have may, you may have heard that the modern secular notion is that the universe is about giant galactic events and supernovas and remarkable expanses of time, but in reality, the center of God's created universe is man who is created in the image of God. And the purpose of man in the image of God is to display God's glory. And the way that we display God's glory is being dependent on Him through prayer. And this prayer is to be loaded with thankfulness. Are you praying with gratitude? Or are your prayers just a constant bellyaching to God? Fourth and finally, believers should be praying selflessly. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul then begins to tell them, ask them specifically to pray, and he says that at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am a prisoner, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The basic point that needs to be seen here is that Paul is asking them to pray for him. Notice what it says there at the beginning of verse 3. He says, at the same time. Uh, uh, What does that mean? What is he saying at the same time? Well, uh, he's linking this to verse 2. And verse 2 really is praying about, uh, about our needs and bringing our petitions to God and our thankfulness to God. And when he's saying at the same time, uh, actually a better way to, trans- uh, to translate the, uh, that would be this. He's saying, pray for us too. Uh, while, while you're praying for yourself, pray for us too. And too often in our lives, our prayers can, can become too focused on us, aren't they? The needs in our life press in around us. And we, we, we go to God, which is great when we have those pressing needs, but often I think we forget about so many others in our lives who have even bigger pressing needs around them. Do we remember that? Now, sometimes we, we, we focus on these little things we have and then we forget that, man, we have a church full of people who have needs. And Paul is saying, hey, while, while you're praying for yourself, please don't forget us. Now, now Paul is asking for prayer, but even, even the prayer Paul is asking is not selfish for himself. And I think we need to notice that because it's important that our prayers are not centered just on our needs. And yes, we can go boldly to God for our needs, but, but it should be so much more than that. It should be bringing the petitions of others to God. We call this intercessory prayer. We are intercede on, be, on behalf of others and, and we are praying for their needs. 
Here's another thing, though, I want you to notice about this intercessory prayer. And this, this is a hard one sometimes for us to comprehend. But intercessory prayer should not just be about the physical needs of others. I know it's important to pray for f- people's physical needs because your physical needs infect, affect your entire being. But we should pray more than just about people's physical needs, about their emotional needs, about their relational needs, about their spiritual needs. Here's an interesting thing. Do a study on this. There are numerous places in the Bible where Paul tells the church that he's writing to what to pray. And you will notice something. As far as I can find, not once does Paul ask for prayer for his own physical need. In fact, not once does Paul even mention prayer for a physical need. In fact, the only place that we see in the New Testament where Paul mentions a physical problem, he doesn't ask for prayer. He's mentioning it as as a fact of God gave this physical problem in my life so that I would rely on him more. I am not saying at all by that that it is wrong to pray for physical needs, but I think that it's uh, it's, uh, kind of small-sighted to pray just for physical needs. We need to look beyond that. What is it then that Paul asks for prayer for? Let's notice this. There's two things, and I don't have this in your notes in the bulletin, but you can put these down. There's two things that Paul asks for prayer for. First of all, he asks for prayer for open doors. Uh, I find it amazing that Paul here is writing from prison. Remember we, at the very beginning of this, we said Paul's in prison when he wrote this letter, and yet he's fighting, uh, asking excuse me, for, for prayer for open doors to share the gospel. Uh, He didn't ask for prayer for open door that he could get out of prison. He's asking for prayer that the gospel would be shared. Look what he says there in that passage. He says that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Evidently, the door was closed in some way, shape, or form. I, I don't know completely what it was, but as I said, Paul was in prison. And, and it may be that Paul was asking for, for favor in the eyes of the authority over him, the, those that were ruling over him. Maybe he's asking for favor so that he could declare the word of God to whoever he wants to. And what, what we see from this, though, is Paul believed that God was sovereign enough over circumstances and over, uh, over a situation that he could remove obstacles and he could remove enemies uh, so that Paul would have an opportunity to share the gospel. And all that he was asking was that people pray. He wanted the door open so that he could share. What does he say there? Look what he says, that I could, that I could share the word. And then he says this, to declare the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? The mystery of Christ is the revelation of what God has done in and through His Son. See, the whole Old Testament just gave hints and and clues towards this. But when Jesus Christ came, suddenly this mystery was revealed, this mystery of Christ that was not seen before, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that now we can have salvation. This mystery was that God would reconcile the world to Himself through Jesus Christ, so that we can have forgiveness and justification. This mystery is that faith alone in a crucified uh, and yet risen Messiah is the power of God unto salvation. It's a mystery that we can know for certain what our, our eternal life will be. And Paul is saying to the church, pray 
that I can proclaim this mystery without restriction. Now what's amazing is that I, I believe that these prayers offered up by this church proved effective. If you read in Acts, Acts chapter 28, we're not going to look there right now, but in Acts chapter 28, it talks about how Paul had success ministering while in prison in Rome. And that from that, he had the opportunity to share this gospel, this mystery with people. And so he's praying, please uh, pray that the door will be open to me. But secondly, notice what he says. He's, he's praying for an open mouth. Look at verse, uh, uh, the final verse there. Verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You know, Paul is praying that his words will be clear to those that he's speaking to. He is wanting prayer that the words that he says, says will be the right words at the right time to the right people. Really, this is a prayer that we should say as well. God, help me today. Help those around me. Help, help, help the church that our words will be clear, that we will have the opportunity to share the gospel. It's amazing to me here because oftentimes when we think of these big men of faith. If I was to ask you, who are some of the greatest men of the Bible, I'm, I'm guessing that many of you would say Paul. And here's a guy that was, that was talented, that was gifted. He even himself proclaimed that he had many tools that were given to him by God, and yet, with all of that, yet he felt so desperately dependent on God. And he felt so dependent on others that he felt the only way he was going to be effective in ministry is if that people prayed. So he asked for prayer. See, prayer is a powerful tool, not, not because God cannot work without prayer, but because prayer reveals our trust and our dependency on him. And the question that I have for you, are, are you depending on God in prayer? Are you looking to God? The, the trials might be hard, the difficulties might be hard, but are you taking it to God, not only your own needs, but are you selflessly looking out and seeing the needs of others? I, I love a quote that I heard recently from, from John Newton. John Newton was the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. If you know John Newton's story, he was, he was a sailor, uh, a, a wicked sailor, and God got a hold of his heart, and he got... He came to Christ and it radically changed him. But he said this, this is interesting, listen to this. He said, the sailors have a saying that if it was always fine weather and easy sailing, then the old women would go to sea. But the skill of the sailor is seen in the storm. And the true skill of the sailor is that they're willing to trust their pilot and do his will and all will be well. And he went on to say then that we need to trust our pilot. In hard times, in good times, what is really going to reveal the, the depths of your, of your faith in God is how you handle life in trials. Do you go to God in prayer? The big idea that I want to get across in this message is prayer is one thing that God asks us to do consistently to bring about the change that he wants in our lives. How are you doing? Is your prayer consistent? Is your prayer watchful? Is your prayer thankful? Is your prayer selfless? Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we can come to you in prayer. Lord, sometimes as Christians, we take this, this act that I'm doing right now for granted. 
We kind of think it's just words that we say, but we know you hear us. What amazes me right now, Lord, is that that you're listening to my words as if they matter. Because to you they do. And Lord, you, you want a relationship with me. You want a relationship with every single person in this room. Lord, when we feel alone and we feel neglected and we feel like no one else cares, you hear us. God, it's hard sometimes because we don't hear a verbal response, but yet we know your word is that response. We know that your spirit guiding in our lives is that response. And so God, I pray that you will help us to be a people who are dedicated to this, this task of prayer. That we'll be a people who will work hard, will pray even when it's difficult. God, I pray that you will then provide the response to prayer. God, we thank you. We ask that you work in hearts and lives, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.